As we're talking about making your life count. What are you doing with your life that'll make a difference for eternity? I want to give you the last words and deathbed statements of some people in life throughout the ages here. <clears throat> I've put this, so, so these are the last words of their lives. I put them in categories. The first one I'm calling is the clueless life. And uh, this is uh, Lady Nancy, Nancy Astor, and uh, she awoke briefly in her last illness and found her family all around her, and she said, am I dying or is this my birthday? And then Lou Costello, do you remember the heavy guy from that Abbott and Costello? His last words were, that was the best ice cream soda I've ever tasted. Seems appropriate. He, he liked food a lot. Thomas Jefferson, I found this interesting. One of our presidents said just before he died, is, is it the 4th? And it actually was July 4th. Douglas Fairbanks, you, you probably don't know him, but he's a famous actor in the 20s and 30s. Just before he died, he said, I've never felt better. <clears throat> Evidently, you can feel good just before it's all over. And, and then this is my personal favorite. This general was killed in battle during the U.S. Civil War, and, and these were his actual last words. They couldn't hit an elephant at this dis... Last, last words. <clears throat> That's true. That's a true story. And, and then this is, is tragic. Uh, Diana, Princess Diana, do you remember her from Wales in that car accident? Her last words, my God, what's happened? And then... This next category I call the, the misspent life. P.T. Barnum, you remember the circus fella, said, how are the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Last words. I mean, good grief. He can't take it with him. I don't know what he's thinking on that one. And then Zigfield from Zigfield Follies. Curtain, music, fast music rather, light, uh, ready for the last finale. Great, the, the, the show looks good. The show looks good. And, and then he was gone. Elizabeth I, the Queen of England, all my possessions for a moment of time. Joan Crawford, the actress, cursed just before she died and, and as her housekeeper had begun to pray aloud, she said, don't you dare ask God to help me. And then Edgar Allan Poe, that great poet but a tormented soul, said, Lord, help my poor soul. Last words. And then this, this I'm calling the intentional life. These quotes uh, Grover Cleveland, a U.S. president, said, I tried so hard to do the right. Leonardo da Vinci said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I find that one really interesting because he's known as a pretty decent artist, uh, da Vinci. <laughs> and then Thomas Beckett, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, in 1170, as, as a martyr, said these as his last words, I'm ready to die for my Lord that in my blood the church may obtain liberty and peace. And then I call this category the fulfilled life. Joseph Addison, a writer, said, see what peace a Christian, uh, see in what peace a Christian can die? John Quincy Adams, a U.S. president, this is the last of earth, I am content. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, when asked by her husband how she felt, her last word on earth was Beautiful. Charles V, the king of France, I, Jesus, and he was gone. The great inventor Thomas Edison said, it is very beautiful over there. Andrew Jackson said to his children, oh, do not cry, be good children, and we will all meet in heaven. And then Woodrow Wilson, <clears throat> the U.S. president, said, I am ready. I guess that's a question for all of us. Are we ready to meet him? 
And then I, I just wanted to add this um, missionary's poetry, C.T. Studd. Now this is a very long poem, uh, but only one line has become famous out of this poem and it's quoted on a regular basis. And you've probably heard it. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. That's a good thing for all of us to remember. As we come to this book, and I'm starting this series called Focus Today. And I'll tell you why I, I named it that in just a moment. But it's the second letter of Paul to Timothy. He wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. His situation has drastically changed since the first letter. First letter, uh, he said, my son in the faith. So he, he really thought a lot of Timothy. And he had been a prisoner in Acts. Do you remember that? But when he was a prisoner in Acts, he was under house arrest, which means that he could move about in that house freely and anybody could come in and see him that wanted to come. So it's not a bad situation. He wrote books of the Bible there, got to see a lot of his friends, got to speak to a lot of people, lead people to Jesus while under house arrest. And that's what he was, uh, he was doing that it speaks of in Acts. But this is very different now. Now he's in a dark, cold dungeon in chains. And uh, he is about to die. As a matter of fact, these are the words of a man that, that some scholars think died just a few days after he finished this letter. And he's writing it to his friend and his son in the faith, Timothy. Now we know that when Paul died, he was beheaded. So he was a martyr for Christ. We know that the emperor, Nero Caesar, was a crazy man. He went crazy. And... Uh, he set Rome on fire to blame it on the Christians. He wanted to rebuild Rome, so he set it on fire. And then he said the Christians did it. And he would literally light Christians as human torches in his garden as he would ride through there laughing with glee. And he would say, look at these Christians, the light of the world. Some scholars think he went crazy after he talked to Paul. And he had Paul beheaded. And so that is what he is facing, and he faces the end here with courage. Let's pray. Father, you have much to teach us in these words that come from your heart to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and show us the good truth that will set us free. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. From this passage in the first chapter today, I, I, I want to talk about making your life count and three things that will help us make our lives count. And the first is this. I, I, I see this so tenderly and so vividly in this, in this passage. Together is the best way to go. I'm talking about with other believers now. Going together. Now as I talk about together, I think it's really great if you and your wife or you and your husband are close or a family member, even mom and dad. But I want you to think about beyond family. We talk about family a lot here and that's very appropriate and it makes life easier and better when you go together as family, focus together on Christ. But I want you to think of people that aren't part of your family because God would call some people alongside you to encourage you in your faith. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about partners and comrades in faith, following Jesus together. Let's watch the commonality these guys had with fellowship in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. One of the things these guys had in common is they were friends focused around relationship in Jesus. 
It's great to have friends, uh, but it's even better to have friends that you can talk about Jesus with. You need to walk with believers, but even believers sometimes. I have friends that I don't talk about Jesus with when we get together. My best friends and the friends that have influenced me the most are people that when we get together, we find ourselves talking about the word and Jesus and ministry and, 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 and we spur one another on to love and good deeds. And these guys were focused on Jesus as Savior. They lifted him up and it was part of their relationship. Verse two, I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. Now let me stop there for a moment and tell you that in 1 Timothy, it's interesting that he called Timothy my son in the faith, but something has happened. Now he's my dear son. That word in the Greek could be translated not only as dear, because we, we, we think of that casually because of the way we start our letters, but it could be translated beloved son. Something has happened here that took him from a son in the faith to a beloved son. What was it? Well, probably 15 years of ministry together. Timothy had been Paul's traveling companion for 15 years. They traveled through Asia and Greece together. He joined Paul in his second and third missionary journeys across those regions. And he'd been given special assignments by Paul in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians to help believers in certain regions. He'd leave them behind and they'd hook up again. And he journeyed with Paul to Jerusalem in Acts 20. He was with Paul in his first Roman imprisonment in that house arrest. And now Paul is calling to him from this letter and he's speaking to him, but they'd have 15 years together and he'd become dear to him. Timothy meant a lot to him now, more than he had meant before. Now let's pick it up in verse three. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again for I remember your tears as we parted. That's two guys that are pretty close. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. So they'd walk together. Loving Jesus, doing ministry, encouraging one another for 15 years. And now he's saying, just before I die, I'd love to see you again. I'd love to be together with you one more time. Here's a really good question for you and for me, for all of us. Who are the together people for me, Lord? Who did you call, you know, beyond my family, who have you called me to walk with that I can encourage and be encouraged by? Because the Lord has people for you. It makes the journey better. It's one thing to be alone in life as a believer in solitude because you have to be like Paul. And sometimes the circumstances of life will frame it where we feel alone. But it's completely another thing to do that on purpose to yourself. And say, yeah, I don't really need anybody, want anybody. Listen, we all need to be encouraged. The apostle Paul loved having Timothy around because he encouraged him and he brought him joy and he built him up. He knew he was gonna die and said, come one more time, it'll bring me joy if we can be together again. This is a pretty big emphasis in the Bible, this together thing. If I asked you the question, who wrote these books? And don't answer it out loud because it's kind of a trick question. Who wrote Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, and Philemon? If I ask you who wrote that, those of you who read the Bible on a regular basis and study would say, Paul, it's not completely true. Look, th- this is the Bible that's talking about who wrote it in these books. In Galatians, as Paul starts, he says, Paul and the brothers with me. Evidently, they were talking things over that the Lord was giving them and he was putting them down in that, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Philippians, 
He said Paul and Timothy were the writers. And yet we say Paul and all these. But look at the togetherness here, walking into these cities, doing things together. Colossians, it was Paul and Timothy, not just Paul, who wrote the book. 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. 2 Thessalonians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Philemon, Paul, and Timothy. Timothy had been together with him. They had been hanging out and involved uh, in, in helping each other and others grow together. Mark 6, we see that Jesus saw something about this together thing because when he sent the, uh, the apostles out, uh, the disciples, he sent them out two by two with authority. Could have sent them out one by one, but he sent them out in twos. Why? Because there's something powerful about this thing together. Ecclesiastes 4, you guys all know this verse. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Hey, listen, it is a lot easier to get discouraged when you're all by yourself. Wouldn't we say yes and amen to that and amen means that's true. And, and it is, it's easier to get discouraged, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. There's something good about this together. When I thought about this um, together thing, and 15 years that as I read that these two had been together in ministry, I thought about Pastor John. We're gonna be celebrating his 15 years with us as a pastor. He's been in this church much longer than that. And by the way, the elders have asked him to serve as an elder and he's agreed. So uh, even though he's not gonna be a pastor and he'll retire on the 27th, the end of this month, he is going to be serving and ministering here. But I wanna tell you what John means to me. John is one of my together guys. 15 years, just like this passage, he and I have been together uh, as pastors in ministry. And I'll just tell you, there's lots of opportunity to get discouraged if you're a pastor. Uh, there's lots of criticism. As a matter of fact, I remember coming to pastor as a senior pastor, and this is the only place I've ever pastored, 17 years now. And uh, I remember thought, well, you know, we'll get things squared away and then the criticism will stop, right? Because, you know, we just make this a really healthy place and Jesus will be here and there'll be no criticism. And then I found out it never stops. I mean, to, to you, I know it's true for you sometimes somewhere in your life too. It's probably true for all of us. But it sure is nice to have a together guy like John who believes in you. And he's walked with me and he's prayed for me and he's blessed me. And listen, he has loved me. And I love him. And he's made my life easier when I'm down. He'll encourage me. And, and I, I just, um, I know I have other together people that I do ministry with that I love dearly as well, but John's one of those men. And, uh, and I'm so glad that the Lord sent him. And, I, and I, I just want you to have people that are your together people, like Timothy, that we speak of in this passage, and, and like John. It's the Lord's will. This together thing is powerful. So the good question for you is, who are my together people, Lord? Who would, who would you lead me to that I, that I could uh, encourage and be encouraged by? Second thought, it's a first thought. Together is better. Second thought, we see it here in the word. Trust that God will give you what you need in life, in ministry, and in your call, your focus. God will give you what you need. Whatever he calls you to, he'll give you what you need to have success with. First Timothy, verse five Paul says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. So this passage is saying, 
that grandma came to the Lord first, Grandma Lois, and then, and then Eunice came to the Lord. That's Timothy's mom. And somehow, Paul's saying, these two ladies were powerful in your life. I want to speak to single moms and dads for just a moment. Please notice that your child can grow up to be everything God wants, and you can give them what they need, in, 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 even though dad may not be serving the Lord, or dad may not be around, or mom may not be serving the Lord or around. Single parents, and now dad was actually in the home in this setting, but he wasn't helping raise Timothy to know God. And Acts uh, 16 shows us that he was Greek and wasn't following God. And, and so Timothy was raised in a house where grandma and mom made the major difference in him knowing the things he knew about God. They invested in his life. And when Paul came around, he noticed this in his first missionary journey, he noticed this guy had an excellent spirit as a young man. And then on the second missionary journey, he liked him so well, he said, come with me. And, and that, from that moment on, Timothy, Timothy joined him. But here's something that's interesting. Did you know Paul was a guy who always walked into a city but left it running? He was an out there guy. Now, Paul and Timothy are very, very different. And that's why I think we need to be careful about what we think Christians should be. Sometimes we think we, they should be loud and always speaking strong, and God has wired some people that way. Sometimes we think they should be gentle, so we don't like the loud, or, or vice versa. But the point is, God uses who he created people to be. These guys, together, were stronger. One had a good, gentle spirit. The other had a strong, bold, courageous uh, heart. And together, they, they, they were better. But in this scenario... What I see here is something that, that, that is, not, is not easily seen on the surface. Paul was in Ephesus and started the church there, but he, he got everybody uh, fired up and caused all kinds of problems, and he couldn't stay because people were mad at him. People wanted to kill Paul. He was so bold about Christ. Timothy, because, now listen to this, because you think about your life and what you've been through, I want you to know how God could use it. You may not even know that even things before you came to Christ, God could use in your life later on. He's been building in you for some good purpose of his. He uses the experiences of life that you go through. Though Paul couldn't stay at Ephesus and pastor the church and cause it to grow because he, he caused too much controversy, Timothy, because he was raised in a home where mom and dad were at odds. One served the Lord, the other did not. He knew what it was like to be in an environment where people didn't, didn't agree. Some served the Lord, some didn't. And he knew how to keep the peace in that setting. So his assignment was to stay in Ephesus and pastor the church that Paul couldn't pastor. You've heard me say this before, but God's been preparing you all your life for what you're just about to do. Timothy, even in the early experiences of his life, the home that he was brought up in, went to Ephesus. Unbelievers, believers, tension, uh, difficulty, but he kept the peace and caused the church to grow, and Paul couldn't do that. It's an interesting thought. I think of hard things in my life. One of them was I went to over 30 schools before I graduated from college, and um, my mom says she thinks 36. Dad traveled, and he had a business, and we would go from town to town, and he, uh, he would get work, and there were, there were years that we were in six schools, two different years, six schools in nine months because homeschooling, I, mom didn't understand the option or it wasn't available, I don't know which. 
So we'd be dropped in schools everywhere. And it was hard, it was hard. But do you know God used even that in my life? It's not like he was surprised about what I was gonna go through or what had happened. Later on in life, I became a district youth director for the Assemblies of God and I would travel across the nation and in the region, the Northwest region and all across Oregon driving about 30 miles, uh, 30,000 miles a, a year and, and, and then flying uh, regionally as well. And, and that moving from place to place was easy for me. The adaptation for, to those environments it was easy for me to get along and adapt when I moved into the situation because of the way I was raised. And God used even that in my life. God can use even the hard things in your life to make something beautiful for them and he might even have had it in mind from the very beginning. Those are interesting things. Trust God that he's giving you what you need, that he'll give you what you need. It speaks of Timothy's gifts in verse six and it says, this is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. I think the gifts spoken of in this passage for Timothy are twofold. It's the common grace of God, the, the, his personality, his unique call, the way he's wired. Those were gifts and talents that God gives. But then I think uh, there's a word in a coming passage that, or verse that says the charisma. The gift is the word charisma and it, it has to do with the, the spirit gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 that we've talked about recently. And I think it's talking about both those things in this passage, but I want to talk about that fan into flames, that terminology there. Um, another version says, stir up the gift of God. And, and, and those are decent translations, but it's such a vivid metaphor that I want you to know what the meaning of the word is beyond that, what we can see in the surface there. First of all, this Greek word is, is used only once in the New Testament, and this is the place. So it's a very unique word. And... Um, The main part of the word refers to embers in a flame which is subsiding or a fire that is going out. So do you remember the campfire and and, and how you started? And if you just leave it where it's at, it goes to embers and maybe some of the wood's not burning. Maybe some of it is just black down there with a little bit of spark in it. But if you'll reach a poker or a stick in there and move it around and stir it up, it catches again. And if you move that wood around and rearrange things, you have this big fire again. Now, now, for each of us, this is what I think this means, because it said something to Timothy, but it says something to you and me as well. This means that though we've come to Christ, and though we've maybe even been on fire for Christ, we'll never just stay that way if we just don't watch it close. Sometimes we have to stir up uh, things in our lives to use the gifts and the callings that God has given us. How do you stir it up? How do you keep the flame going strong in your life? Let me give you a few suggestions here because every fire needs repeated stirring and rearranging to keep it burning brightly. And so do we with our faith in Christ. Ways to shake off the ashes, to stir it up a little bit, to get the fire going in our life. One of them is if you're not reading this on a regular basis, start to read it. You know, those horizon journals, it's just a little guide we have, a great way to to focus. But when you're in here, you're continually stirring that fire. It's continually burning because you're learning something. And maybe, maybe your prayer life, maybe it's waned and you need to start it again. Maybe you're praying, but it just doesn't seem as focused and as, as strong as it once used to be. Let me just give you a little thought. What if you moved uh, the location from where you normally pray? I find for me, one of the cool things where I can really connect with the Lord in prayer, uh, number one, it's right here late at night with all the lights off when nobody's here. I really like that. I've been, I've been praying that way through this year on Saturday nights. And I, I just, and it was, 
it's just been great for me not to even have a lot of people around, but just to focus on me and God, getting my heart right, asking him to help me even on this day. But another thing I really like is, is praying outdoors. And, and yeah, that's been hard in Oregon this year. Uh, but, 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 but now it'd be easier, you know, to go to a mountaintop, to, 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 to get out uh, somewhere, you know, even when I look at the ocean and the woods, something that would stir it up a little bit The point is to connect with God in a major way. Maybe it's not any of that, but moving to a different room where you can get quiet because you can't get quiet in the room that you once got it in when you prayed. The Bible talks about the prayer closet and what that means is a secret place, a quiet place to connect with the Lord. You're stirring it up when you, uh, and you're causing those, uh, the the, the fire to be fanned into flames when, when you do these things. Another way is a small group. You know, we have our, our life groups around here that are great places to connect. We have shepherding groups. And, and there's, there's, those are places where you can connect with people that will be your together people that I spoke of earlier. And, 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 and we even have Horizon Journal groups. There's lots of small groups where that can happen. But getting together in one of those settings, I, 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 um, well, I'm just gonna do it. How many of you got into a small group and it, and it, and it ignited your faith a little bit? Let me, let me just see. Raise your hand. okay. And, and maybe some of you already, you know, you already were going strong and, and so, but, but the point is I want you to see that there's something special about getting together with the believers that fans it into flame and we can encourage one another. Maybe it's reading a great Christian book. I don't like us to read those more than we read the Bible. I really don't because it's not the inspired word of God. They're just thoughts of men uh, that the Lord can use, men and women. But, but a good Christian book can sometimes ignite our faith as well. How about taking a class? Some class that's offered. Maybe it's on the gifts of the Spirit which show up around here. That can ignite you. Maybe it's a mentor that you just want to talk about the Bible with and you're connecting with on a regular basis. These are all ways to, to fan, uh, fan into flames those things that God has put in you and those things God wants to do in you. As he talks about gifts in verse uh, 1 Timothy 4.14, it says, be sure to use the abilities God has given you through his prophets when the elders of the church laid their hands upon your head. Now here when it says um, the, these abilities, it's, it's, it's the, another version says the gift of God and it's the word charisma. And it means more than natural ability. It means the operation of the things of the spirit. And so, so whether it's the common grace of God with the gifts he puts in your life or the things of the spirit, what God wants you to know is as you trust in him, he'll give, give everything you need for what you're facing. He can use you to do great things. He's the one who gives these gifts and empowers you to do his work. I met with a, um, Karen and I did uh, just, just last week an amazing lady. Her name is Andrea Cook. She's the president of Warner Pacific College. And by the way, I love Warner Pacific College. I really do. I'm just, they love Jesus. They're into the word and it's a great place to go. And they, I don't know, they have more than 30 majors. So, but from, from Bible to, uh, to accounting. I mean, I mean, they have a broad array. But you, you, you can go to school there for, for about the price of a state school, and it's a great place. Andrea is the president of the college. And she came to visit with Karen and I, and we talked, and I was fascinated by her story. She, she told us that she wanted to be a third grade teacher, and she had studied and got herself ready and got out of school all excited, and she went to look for a job, and she couldn't find a job. I mean, nobody would believe in her, nothing was available, and, she, and she, it was just very difficult, and eventually she had to take a job at a small college 
called Judson Baptist, which is where I went to school, and that's where I know Andrea from. I went there and then to George Fox. And, and um, a- Andrea just worked in the admissions office. But along the way, she got herself educated more and more. And the lady who wanted to be a third grade teacher eventually discovered that really wasn't what God had for her. Someone said a cool thing to me between services. They said, did you know that we have a plan A and a plan B, but God only has one plan? <laughs> Our plan B might be settling on what he said was the right plan. And his plan is always best. It's where we're most fulfilled. It's the greatest. And here's the deal. God didn't plan for Andrea to be a third grade teacher. That is a high calling and a wonderful calling. But he had in mind, no, 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 Andrea, I want you to be a college president. That's what I have for you. And now she loves Jesus and she's serving Christ and everything she needs, she finds that God has gifted her for this. She's doing a great job. That, that the gifts of the Spirit are in her and he's leading her and guiding her and helping her with the people around her and she's doing something special for the Lord. Everything you need, he'll give you. He'll give you the call, he'll, he'll, he'll show you the direction and he'll give you what you need as you trust in him and that's what he was telling Timothy. You have gifts that he put in you from the time you were young. The circumstances he experienced with your mom and grandma, these gifts uh, that, that you got laying on of hands with, uh, with the charisma, I'll, I'll use you. That's what the Lord was saying through Paul. Trust in me, I'm gonna do great things th- through you. Here's the third, well, let me just say this after that. Uh, if you think you're not qualified and God may not use you in great ways, let me tell you, simple ways are great ways. Um, Tom, Tom Leisman um, is a great, great brother and and. I, th- I just thought it was significant um, at our graduation service uh, last Sunday night for the high school students that two students, uh, one of them a salutatorian, another just in his comments, they were allowed to have something read that spoke of who had meant something to them. Two students mentioned Tom Leesman. And um, one of them said, I, when I first, he, he, he gave him a ride from a football practice or something when he's a freshman, and he said, when I first heard him talk on the phone, I thought to myself, can anybody really be this happy? <laughs> and he came to the school because of that encounter with Tom. He's our salutatorian, a great athlete. And, and um, you know, just, just so you know, this is funny to me. Uh, Tom is a very good friend of mine, and I, and I love him dearly. And he's, he's been one of my together people, too. And, and uh, I know a, another person who when they first met Tom actually thought he was mentally challenged because he was so happy. Uh, and and uh, he is a little touched, if you know him. Uh, he can be a little crazy, but it's, but it's all fun. But he loves Jesus and has such joy that he impacted these two students who he, he hadn't really been close to. But they loved what they saw in him. So whether, whether it's you know, the college president or the, or, or, or the touch of God through a life that's just simply lived before people loving Jesus. God wants to use all of us. You've heard this before. As a matter of fact, someone said it to me just before I got up here. I didn't even know it was gonna be in my sermon. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. And every one of us are candidates. God's been working in our lives just like he was in Timothy's life. And he's working in yours to touch, to impact this world, to build his kingdom. Here's a third thought that I see in this passage. Paul goes out of his way to tell the young, timid Timothy to stand up for Christ. 
I believe God would say that to every one of us. Listen to verse seven. For God has not given us a a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Timidity, that word we're not familiar with, um, but it could be translated, and it would be translated well if it said cowardice. I'm just gonna say it to you. God has called us to stand up for him, and he doesn't want us to be cowards. We live in a society where the media talks about Christians in a very negative way. And one of the things that they're mad about and makes them angry because it's not politically correct to them is when we say that Jesus is the only way. So, you know, Jesus uh, is, is an offense to people who have not accepted him and who, and who don't want to any, have anything to do uh, with salvation. But here's what the Bible says. There's only one way to be saved. So is it true that you will suffer and you might uh, take some heat and some criticism and some persecution and suffer because you say Jesus is the only way? It's absolutely true that you will suffer if you say that. But it's also absolutely true that Jesus is the only way. And the Bible says, how will they know unless someone tell them? What I want you to know about these words of Jesus Christ, about the scriptures, about Uh, speaking that he's the way, the truth, and the life, is you are not alone when you speak these things of Jesus because the Holy Spirit shows up to bear witness in people's hearts. I'm not alone when I talk about Jesus. I can't make anyone come to Jesus, but the Holy Spirit attends the truth about Jesus Christ. And he said, don't be a coward. Now here's the words of, uh, of Jesus in Mark 8, 38. This is strong. As a matter of fact, you'd say it's too strong if you didn't know it was the word of God, that you'd say Jesus wouldn't say something like that. But look what he said. It's true, he said it. If a person is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, I, the son of man, will be ashamed of that person when I return in the glory of my father with the holy angels. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. That's heavy. Now, I don't know if ashamed of you means you won't go to heaven. I I can't really extrapolate that far. I do know it's a bad thing to be ashamed of him. It's not what I would like to hear when he comes to take me home with him. You are ashamed of me. I'm ashamed of you. I don't want to hear that. For me, and to a degree, all of us, really, I gave up the right to live my life the way I wanted to when I surrendered to Christ. When I surrendered to the call of Jesus Christ, I gave up the right to be popular. I gave up the right to go after money as a main focus in life. I gave up the right to have people like me. And I accepted the challenge to speak the truth in love so that people would know Jesus Christ. Listen, when I became a preacher, I counted the cost. I did not want to be a preacher. I grew up in a preacher's home. My mom and dad loved me and were great parents, but it was just a hard life. So I thought, Lord, couldn't you just use me for something else? But when I surrendered, I I gave up privileges and said, Lord, I'm gonna speak your truth and love to the best of my ability. Acts 1.8 says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In 1 Timothy when it, when it says in verse seven, 
He's not given us a, a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That power is a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, that word, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That word witnesses literally means the ability to be a martyr. When we're filled with the Spirit, we receive even enough love to die and enough courage to die for the things of Christ. That's a heavy thought, isn't it? 2 Timothy 1.8 goes on to say, as he talks to his brother, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. See, how will this play out in the workplace? You're going to suffer if you stand up for Christ in, in, certain, in certain situations. I've mentioned it before, but I remember when I was a college student home for the summer, I had played uh, baseball in <clears throat> college and went right onto a softball team with some of my friends in Dallas, Oregon. <clears throat> and a few games into a tournament, and I was playing great, a few games in, one of my good friends came to tell me I couldn't be on the team anymore. And I said, why? And he said, well, the other guys, they don't want you on the team. I said, why? I couldn't figure it out. And he said, because you won't drink with them. And I said, Ross, I didn't even say don't drink. I just said, no, thank you. He said, well, they, they want you to drink with them. I said, well, I can't, I can't do that, bro. And, and it's my personal conviction. I don't have anything to do with alcohol. It's messed up a lot of people in our family through the generations. And, and, and so it, it can't hurt you if you don't mess with it, right? And since it can hurt a lot, I just, I don't want to do it. I'm a teetotaler. And I didn't want to drop that conviction um, just to be popular. And it cost me. But, you know, I found it humorous. I don't know why. Just thought, wow. I mean, the conviction of the Holy Spirit can work when you're not even saying anything, you know, to, uh, to people. <clears throat> but you're, you're, you're going to suffer in some ways when you, when you follow the Lord. Loss of friends. Bypass for a promotion. I mean, these things happen to believers because they love the Lord. Not getting some jobs because you want Sunday off. Loss of customers, being snubbed. Now, I'd say the Lord brings blessing too. Though that stuff happens, a lot of bad stuff happens to people uh, in life. More good than bad will happen. The Lord will bless you and you'll prosper in many other ways. But you will feel those things. That's what I want you to know. When you stand for Christ, there will come times where you will feel those things. And if you're not careful, you'll become gun shy and not want to say anything about Christ. But he says in verse eight, Never be ashamed to tell others. And then it says in verse eight, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. And he's talking about in prison for Christ. Let me talk about that for a moment. Let me give you an example. It, it bothers me these days when I hear Christians talk bad about James Dobson. And I'm hearing it on a regular basis. Uh, they don't like the fact that he was straight out there and the media came against him. Listen, the media came against James Dobson not because he shared the message wrong. It was because of the message he shared. Raise your kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And now I hear some Christians acting like James Dobson did it wrong. Listen, there are Pauls and there are Timothys. Evidently, Dobson was a Paul. He is out there. And just because you're a Timothy, don't act like you're more righteous than he is. Because God has used that man in incredible ways. He uses Paul and he uses Timothy. And, and, and the temptation is for us to be ashamed of our brother. Did you know in this passage that Paul said this because the Christians in Ephesus that Paul had first led to the Lord, 
They were supposed to come, the history shows us, to come be a witness. Um, I believe that you can see it in first, verse 15 of that, of that same chapter one, that, that they were ashamed to come and witness even for Paul. So he said, don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me. I would say to you, don't be ashamed of brothers and sisters who take a stand for Christ. I heard someone talking about a classroom scenario just the other day that they were in. And the professor was making some assertions that were really anti-God and anti-Bible and he spoke up. And he was afraid it might cost him. And there's another place it could cost you. It could cost you in your grades too. High school, college, master's programs, doctorates. Because they'll say that you're crazy if you believe God can speak to, to people. But when you stand for Christ, what this fellow told me is, he said something and someone came to him later and said, every time you speak, you're speaking for me. Because I'm feeling that too. Well, that's pretty powerful. And then it says, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. The word Timothy, the, the literal meaning is he who honors God. And Paul gave him these thoughts. Hey, come be with me. Let's do this together. Stand up for Christ. Trust God. We'll give you everything you need and it's going to go well for you. You will make an impact with your life. Timothy did honor God, just like his name said. He did do what Paul said. He did have major impact. He stayed focused and he was fruitful. Paul gives his life. He did these things in his life. These guys are inspiration to us. Verse 12 says, that is why I'm suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. Focused. It's about Christ. It's about building his kingdom. It's about going together. I think of these lives and the impact, and, and, and I think of what that might look like in our day, and I I think there's a good example among us that just passed away, John Wooden. Four months shy of his 100th birthday, he passed away last week. Most people know him as the great UCLA coach, voted two years ago as the best coach in the history of sport, any sport, by other coaches. 10 national championships, seven in a row at UCLA, 88 consecutive victories. Those are just crazy numbers if you know anything about sports and all these major colleges. But he's most remembered uh, perhaps now as, as a mentor, friend, loving husband, and a, and a loving father. I don't know anyone, I'm just being honest with you, I don't know anyone who's had a secular job and had more impact for Christ in our generation than John Wooden. I don't know anyone. I think Billy Graham has had that kind of influence, but he, you know, he's not secular, that's, that's ministry. Wooden has always been able to do what he did and do it well and love people and at the same time stand up for Jesus and not be afraid to speak the name. I remember probably 15 years ago he did the Athlete of the Year Awards on Channel 2 News and I watched it at home and he shared three things and one of them was you gotta, you gotta know where you're going spiritually and he spoke about Jesus and I thought nobody else can get away with that. Why? I think of the passage in Proverbs that says let love and faithfulness those are two great things, love and faithfulness. Timothy had those two things. Paul had those two things. John Wooden had those two things. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart for then you'll win 
favor with God and a good name with man. Now, though Paul is killed and Timothy faces persecution, they were greatly loved in their day as well. People would come from all over the region to see Paul. John Wooden was a man that was greatly loved who stood up for Christ. He said this, and I think this is a good thing for us to think about. I'm just talking about a good example in our day. Someone that we can thank the Lord for and learn from. As as we think about being the best we can be for Christ and making an impact with our life, this is something good to think about. Success comes from knowing that you did your best to become the best that you're capable of, of becoming. John Wooden. Think of that in terms of your spiritual life. Lord, I want to be the best I can be for you. I was reading a blog about John Wooden from Christianity Today this week. And it said that his favorite passage was 1 Corinthians 13. And Randy tossed me that for just a moment. And it brought my mind to this. A few years ago, I said in a service that I wasn't really a an autograph guy, I don't really want anybody's autograph. It just doesn't appeal to me very much, not even for money. But then I said, well, maybe one, maybe one. And it was because his life was lived out loud with love. And I said, I, I, I would probably like to have John Wooden's autograph. And someone in this church, I don't know how or where they got this, but they got John Wooden to sign this. Zoom in on that baby, see if you can see, if you can see it. These camera people are good. And when I, when I read in that blog that his favorite passage was 1 Corinthians 13, this, is, this says to, to Pastor Stan, and, and it has John Wooden's name, and then it says 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I thought um, that if somebody would have asked me before this week, I would have said that John Wooden wrote best wishes, and then he wrote always love. But I looked at it again, he didn't say that. But 1 Corinthians 13, I know it's the love chapter, and, and when I, I have this in my office, not, not because of John wouldn't necessarily, but I, I, I put it out there and the thing I always see is 1 Corinthians 13. Because isn't that a great thing for a pastor to, to be focused on? Loving God, loving people. And I, I, think, of, I think of Wooden's life. And, and listen, this guy impacted me when I was a little guy. I wrote, I read rather, the book he wrote entitled They Call Me Coach. And he had scriptures and a life lived for God and impact and just millions of people have been impacted by his life for Christ. I don't want to elevate John Wooden today beyond the, the, the status of a man. But he was a man who loved God. He was a man who was focused. And I believe he's a man that's, that has seen Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Randy, how about us? God help us. 2 Timothy 4.8. Paul says this, and now the prize of... Or, awaits me, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. 